Thank you for joining me this week, and welcome to the Circle Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, Chad. I want to take the opportunity to welcome back everyone, and thank you for staying connected. Uh, took about the last month or so off, just because of work obligations and family. And I want to thank you for hanging on and staying connected. Today is October 1st, or better known in my area of the woods as the uh, Age of the Pumpkin Spice. It seems like everything now is turned over, and even for the last couple weeks, you've been seeing it everywhere. Uh, it's that time of year. It's October. Uh, the time that the ghosts and goblins and things that go bump in the night come out, and the time we look forward to as uh, paranormal investigators, podcasters, uh, anyone who likes the morbid and um, like I said, general paranormal things. This is the time of year for us. This is what we are known for. Uh, this is where we can come out and act ourselves, and we don't look so weird as we do most of the time in the year. <laughs> so, uh, what I want to talk about in this next month or so are some of the things that make October great. Some of the things that the traditions we have, the family outings, the you know, kind of the history of the pumpkin patch, and you know, Halloween parties and all of that. I want to explore some of the um, history, like the traditions of Halloween, how it started, and some of the iconic monsters that we've come to love. Now, some of those are definitely fake. Some of them are borderline mythology. And I want to talk about one of those tonight. This monster uh, is one of my favorites. Uh, me and my wife have arguments about the attributes of this particular monster, and we'll get to more on that later. Um, but it's definitely one that stands out that is based in reality, um, but there's been a lot of mythology added to it, and that is the vampire. Now, when, when we hear the word vampire, we think of a few different versions of this monster. We think of the the classic uh, version of the vampire, the dashing looking uh, man with the Romanian accent, the long black cape. Uh, he lives in a large castle in the mountains in some foreign land. He's uh, got the coffin that he sleeps in in the basement. Um, this iconic image has been retold a thousand times from cartoons to movies, books, um, everything in between has copied that image of the vampire. Um, it's probably one of the most widespread known versions that we grew up with. When we first start seeing things on TV, that is the version we think of. That version, thanks to movies like Bram Stoker's Dracula and other classic versions, um, again, that's, that's what we see. That's what we envision. The second version of the vampire uh, that as we get older, we kind of grow into is the pop culture vampire. Uh, more recent times, you can think of uh, iconic characters from Interview with a Vampire, Queen of the Damned, um, Twilight, and Marvel Comics even. Now, Twilight's the one that me and my wife argue about. I personally, they are not vampires for many reasons. Not the fact that they sparkle, but that's one of them. Um, but even the Marvel comics, like I said, they have Blade, they have different versions, they've got Dracula. Um, so this is the pop culture vampire, one that's generally watered down, it's made for the masses. So we've got the classic version, the pop culture version. Now the last version 
is really made up of two things. Popular lore, legend, and fact, historical fact. Now, before we dive into that, one thing about the first two, the classic version and the pop culture version, they have a lot of the same traits. They've got the, you cannot go out in daylight, the sun will hurt you, uh, they must drink blood to survive, they have superhuman ability, speed, strength, jumping. Uh, many times they can morph and transform from, you know, humanoid to bat or other animals. Um, they have many of those different abilities. They also have some of the weaknesses. Like I said, the sun, holy water, garlic, um, a stake through the heart. And they're not allowed to go onto holy grounds or even be invited, even go into your house unless they're invited. Um, they have no reflection in the mirror. So all of these are examples you see in other pop culture movies, um, attributes and these traits. The uh, couple I can think of is Fright Night, the 1960 version and the newer version that had David Tennant in it. Uh, awesome movies that show some of those weaknesses. Uh, but The Lost Boys, one of the classic vampire movies that go in and depict and talk about, again, the holy water, the garlic, and some of the weaknesses of the vampire. Um, the, the coven or the grouping of vampires. Um, so, and again, being invited into your house, they cannot come in. Um, those are, again, traits of the popular culture classic vampire. So, with that being said, back to the last version. We have the more historic vampire legend. Now, with the historic vampire legend, many, many of the beliefs come from a factual person. Vlad the Impaler. Vlad was a very twisted and sick individual. So Vlad the Impaler, his nickname, or the name that pop culture gave him, was Dracula. That's where that came from. Now his father, Vlad Dracul, I'm not pronouncing that right, um, translated into Vlad the Dragon. And that's where Dracula came from. So Vlad, again, like I said, was a very twisted individual. Um, many times he would bring and invite guests over to his castle and have a huge feast with them and then slaughter them at the table. He would impale them at the dinner table once they were done. He would continue to eat his dinner and then when he was done he would take his bread and dip it into the buckets that were collecting the blood from the bodies of his guests. Uh, and that's kind of where the mythology of vampires drinking blood came from. Uh, he didn't actually latch on to someone with fangs and bite, but he would definitely drink their blood on more than one occasion. Um, it's said that he killed more than 100,000 people by various means. Um, everything from he would gather the poor and the sick and the transient into one of his houses and, again, gave them a big feast. And then he boarded up all the exits and burned the house to the ground. Um, other examples of, you know killing his own people would be the the law itself impalement was pretty much the only way the only punishment he got a kick off that uh, he actually had a sense of humor about it would make jokes at the expense of the corpses in his um, castles he one time invited a guest over and he made the comment I hope 
you don't mind the stench or something to that effect. And his guest said, yes, it's, it's bad. You know, whew, stinks in here. So what did Vlad do? He had him impaled and hung him from the ceiling so the stench wouldn't be so bad up there. So again, this, this gentleman, Vlad, was a um, horrific, horrific individual. Um, but indeed, he's inspired many of the stories we know today. Many of the classic vampire, uh, again, Bram Stoker's Dracula, a lot of that came from the true story of Vlad the Impaler. Um, another aspect that may have came from the story of Vlad itself is when he finally met his end, he was on the battlefield with the Turkish army. Uh, he was outnumbered. His army was outnumbered. There's many stories that place the fact that he was decapitated and that once he was decapitated, it was done not by the Turkish army, but by his own. Because the Turkish army didn't impale their own people and many of his soldiers switched sides at the last moment. So, once Vlad was beheaded, they sent his head back to the Sultan and the Sultan impaled it, ironically enough, and placed it outside the palace. Now, Vlad's body, this is where things get kind of murky. It said that it was eventually buried in a um, chapel nearby. Um, some people believe that never happened, that his body just disappeared. Um, you know, things of war, those kind of things happen. Others believe he was a prince, so he, when he was buried, he would, would have been buried with treasure and things like that, and his body disappeared due to grave robbers. But, again, the legend is his body is looking for his head and rose from the grave. And that's kind of where we get the vampires rise from the grave part at. Now, a second part of the legend that's formed over many stories um, and kind of blended with that is from the more country areas, uh, the country belief, the, the common people, what they've seen with vampires. Uh, dating back to the Middle Ages and even before, there's stories of horrific things that were done to the dead to prevent them from becoming vampires. Uh, many times there's examples of this that are documented. Someone would die of tuberculosis. Um, now, they wouldn't be the only ones in the family to have this disease, or they would die, and weeks later, other family members would start uh, contracting that disease and start having problems and sicknesses. It was a belief that was a curse upon the person who died and the family, and that the only reason this curse is still around is because that person would rise from the grave each night and feed on the living, and that cursed the family. Now, this belief is often attributed because when they would dig the body up, they would exhume it from the grave, and due to tuberculosis and natural decay, they would see blood around the mouth. And that's where the belief that they were eating the living and sucking the blood came from. Uh, it didn't help also that they would notice that the fingernails appeared to be growing longer and the hair uh, appeared to be getting longer too. And that those were all signs that the deceased was a vampire. Um, graves have been exhumed and found the people inside with stakes through the heart um, or the internal organs removed, including the heart. And there's folklore of this where they would take the heart out and destroy it by fire. Um, and then they would take the ashes and mix it into a soup or an elixir. And that was drank by the family. 
and it was believed that when you did that, it would ward off the sickness or the curse that the vampire had placed on the family. What's funny enough is there's stories up until the, you know, colonial days in America that these things were still going on. In even modern times, the belief in vampires is still very strong. Uh, there are modern-day vampire hunters uh, that comb the world looking for the undead. In fact, earlier this year, the Travel Channel even came out with a uh, one-episode documentary series called Vampires in America uh, with two modern-day vampire hunters. Um, the show looks very interesting. I will post a link to the trailer on our Facebook page. Um, but it's been it's got mixed reviews. Um, some people are saying it's 100% fake. Some people are saying it's totally real. Um, some people say it's just pure entertainment. It's a good laugh. So I'll be watching it soon. I'm going to find out. I'll let you know what I think. Uh, but some of those shows are, are definitely on the fake side. But it'll be interesting to see how they portray it. Um, but look for that link. Watch the trailer. Let me know what you think. Uh, be an interesting conversation. Uh, I also want to mention that there's so much vampire lore, more than I can cover in you know 20 minutes on a podcast. Um, do some research, look out there, some very interesting stories about um, the mythology of what's became known as a vampire today. Um, Josh Gates did a very interesting episode of his um, his show about vampires. And there's just so much out there, so much research you can do. And even, like I said, back to colonial days in America of stories of vampirism going on. So I encourage you to go out and look for yourself. Um, But that's pretty much all I've got this week on vampires and the monsters thereof. Um, Again, I want to thank you for joining me. I have one announcement I want to make. I want to make a brief mention that on October 15th, the Octagon House, which we've had an episode about, uh, in Circleville, Ohio, will once again be having their self-guided flashlight tours. Uh, the cost is only $10, and the event lasts from 7 p.m. until midnight. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. This place is phenomenal. Um, when I went there, I had personal experiences. i seen things. I've got things on uh, photos. So it's definitely an experience to go to, and I encourage you to go out and visit them. Uh, all the money goes to support the uh, house itself and the preservation and restoration of the octagon house and it's a beautiful uh, architectural piece just to look at um, so definitely head out over there again uh, saturday october 15th uh, between 7 p.m and midnight again the cost is only ten dollars and if you're looking for something to do in october to get those halloween you know energies flowing this is definitely the place to go to Again, thank you for joining me this week. Uh, if you have a story to tell, I'd love to hear it and I'd love to share it. You can send me a message and contact us uh, through our email, circleparanormal at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Circle Paranormal uh, or head on over to our website, circleparanormal.com. Again, I appreciate you tuning in. You guys have a good weekend. <laughs>